Today our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading from the 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35. Again, that is Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35. If able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, How often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered that he be sold together with his wife and his children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him his debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The word of God the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to begin today, and I thought about this very carefully. I was going to ask you to close your eyes and imagine this, but I'm afraid if I do that uh, 10% of you will never open them until we get to the final benediction. So keep your eyes open. But picture, if you will, think on this thought. Meditate on it for a second. What do you have to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Now just think about that for a second. Let that resonate. Draw a picture in your mind. Is there someone whom you need to reconcile? Is there someone with whom you have a difficult or a broken relationship? And do you need to forgive them? I'm waiting. I'm seeing a couple people counting. There there may be more than one. Okay. Now, last Sunday in our service, we talked about, again, these ideas of broken relationships in the church. And I I brought before you the Matthew 18 rule 
of fixing church problems. You guys remember the three-step process? If someone in the church sins against you, what are we first to do? That's right. We're supposed to go to them, not in public, not embarrass them, but go to them privately when the two of you are alone and let them know. And if they repent, then you've regained that person and all is good. But if they don't, then you were supposed to then go and get one or two other members of your church, not just any members, not just your friends, but those who would prayerfully consider those who themselves were in the Word, those who themselves understood what it meant, who would go to them in a prayerful and loving manner so that they would be convinced by the evidence of two or three. And if they then came to their senses, all was mended. But if not, then what were you to do? The whole church. At this point, it becomes public. At this point, you know, if someone is basically so stubborn they can't see what they've done wrong, they can't be convinced of their sin, then you'd call the whole church, and hopefully that will convince them. And if that doesn't convince them, we're supposed to do what? Kick them to the curb. I know I said that, you know, people, people kind of smile a little bit. We're supposed to treat them like tax collectors and Gentiles. We're supposed to send them out from among us. So that's how this, this whole chapter began with Matthew, talking about reconciliation. Now, I did say the ultimate way to bring healing and restoration is forgiveness. But as I said, that was not last Sunday's sermon. That's this Sunday's sermon. And so I put that off, and so now here we are. So I will say it again. The only true and full and complete way to bring about healing in a broken relationship, and in this context of pain and hurt, is forgiveness. It is the only way forward. And I think we all know that. We do understand that. But as talking with the children, sometimes that word is a complicated word. We kind of sort of know what it means. Sometimes people will say things like, just let it go. Have you ever had a friend that had a problem, you told them, just let it go. Now let's flip that around. Have you ever had a problem, you told a friend, and they said, just let it go? And now you've got two problems, right? Or just get over it. Just get over it. It's no big deal. But that's the problem. If it wasn't a big deal, you wouldn't still be chawing on it. You wouldn't still be grinding on it. You wouldn't still be discussing you. It wouldn't keep you up at night. But when we have this kind of hurt in our lives, the only true way is not just to let it go, just to forget about it, but to truly forgive. Now, to that end, Peter, and I love, I love Peter. I love Peter, one, because he was a fisherman, and that's as close in the Bible as you'll get to a sailor. And I spent a few years of my life as a sailor. And let me tell you something. The one thing about sailors is you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. Sometimes good, most often not. But I think Peter speaks for us because he often asks the question that we, you know, it's kind of like in a, in a group that one person raised their hand and asked a question, and we're like, ah. But deep down, we're like going, yeah, I kind of want to know the answer to that one too. So how many times, Lord? Do I have to forgive this person? And then Peter has a number ready. And he says seven. Now, seven's a unique number. To us, it's you know, just the number that comes after six, before eight. 
in the children's joke, it's the scariest number because seven, eight, nine. Some folks got it, some folks will later on go. But in Judaism, seven is a complete number. How many days of creation were there? Seven. In the Christian world, how many churches were there? Seven. You see, this is one of those repeating numbers because it is sort of this idea of completeness, of totality, of wholeness. And so basically, as Peter, when he threw this number out, because let's face it, if somebody did something so upsetting to you that you, you know, had to dig down deep to forgive them, and you did, and then they did it again, how hard would it be to do it twice? Remember the old saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And so most of us like, okay, two should be enough. And if you really wanted to stretch out three, but Paul, he's like, he went straight to seven. He thought, I'm in. And Jesus said, nope, 77, or 70 times seven. There's some debate in the translation. But again, if it's 77 or 70 times seven, either way, what this is saying is a complete number of complete numbers. Basically, what he's saying is, as many times as it takes. Infinite. you got to keep doing it. Now think about that. I've already discussed how many folks in here have a hard time. Don't raise your hands, just think about it. If something is really, really, really heinous, if there's something really egregious, if there's something really horrible, I mean, I'm not just talking about someone bumping into you or... But I'm talking about something just completely horrible and is just unforgivable. How many of you have had something in your life or have seen something or know something that is just completely unforgivable? I've had several. I never understood my grandfather and some of his bigotries. And one of his worst bigotries was against the Japanese but he served on a carrier that was shot out from under him during World War II. And even with that in my mind, I could not just wrap my head around that until I went into a war zone and saw some of the bodies of some of our young men in boxes, knowing that they had been killed by the people, the very people that were there to And there were times when, as a chaplain, I was called to take supplies and minister to these very people. And it was hard. I wish I could tell you I had such a wonderful Christian spirit that I just joyfully did it. But oftentimes it was begrudgingly. Because forgiveness isn't easy. I would not tell you, just forgive, just get over it, just let it go. It's not that simple. Not with the hard things. Not when someone attacks your family or your friends. Not when someone slanders you. And I'm not just talking about a little slander. I'm talking about a big slander. Not when somebody digs down deep into a painful spot that you have and they just twist that knife. It is so hard to then let go of that hurt because that's where it comes from. That's where the unwillingness to forgive comes from. It's because so much pain has been suffered. And on top of that, There's shame and there's guilt because we know we're supposed to forgive, but we can't. And so we heap that on, and then we get even madder at the situation and at the person. 
And so forgiveness isn't easy. And Jesus knows this. But yet still he says, 70 times 7. See, forgiveness is really so hard because let's face it. Oftentimes, when someone says you should forgive them, what's the first thought that pops in your head? I don't want to. Or they don't deserve it. Or they didn't even ask for it. Why should I give them something they haven't even asked for yet? Doesn't that seem like a good out? If they didn't ask for it, why should I forgive them? But that's not the point of all this. If someone has wronged you and that wrong is burrowing into your heart, if it is making you sick, if it is making you have bad thoughts, if it is causing you pain and suffering, then the only way to heal that is to forgive that person. Not just let it go, not just get over it, but to forgive. And as an example of what this forgiveness would look like, Jesus then tells us this parable. And it's a doozy. Imagine, if you will, a servant who owed 10,000 talents. Now that sounds a lot just by itself, doesn't it? Does anybody here know what the equivalent of a talent is? 15 years' wages. So if you do the math really quickly, that is 150,000 years of wages. Now imagine if you owed 150,000 years of, not your current wage, but of your wage when you first entered the work, of your lowest level wage. But 150,000 of that. How could you repay that? You couldn't. It's impossible. That's the whole point of it. They put a number on it, but the number is impossible. There is no way. And this guy is even saying, Lord, if you'll just give me time, I'll get. You're not paying that off. There's no way you're getting over that. And so his Lord has mercy and forgives him that debt. And now that this huge weight has been lifted off this individual, he then immediately goes out and hugs his wife and his kids who are about to be sold into slavery and has a party, right? No! He grabs some guy by the neck who owes him a day's wage. Because he's now even. And he wants to get ahead because he hasn't got it. It hasn't sunken in. He doesn't understand the gift that he was given. He does not understand and comprehend what true forgiveness really means. He just thinks, I got away with it. He's still thinking in a worldly way. And that's the problem when we say, I can't. I won't. There's no way. That's the world in us talking. That's our flesh talking. We are called to forgive as we've been forgiven. That's what the Lord says. Why couldn't you forgive him this little? I forgave you so much. And then Jesus puts an exclamation point. And so will it be for all of you from my Father in heaven. Heck, even in the Lord's Prayer we say what? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. I know sometimes we like to change that and go, help me forgive as you have. But it says, forgive me my debts as I've forgiven my debtors. Forgiveness. Now, I want to stop here and put an explanation on this. Because here's the problem. If I leave it there, 
there will be somebody in here who's suffering, who has a great hurt that they are currently unable to forgive, and I don't want to add any more guilt and shame onto that. Okay? If you're still struggling with it, I understand. We're human. We're still here. We are still struggling with our flesh. And so, continue to struggle with that. This is not a shaming moment. But it is clear, the intent of this is, as we've been forgiven much, so should we be able to forgive a little. For if you remember, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got better. Not once we became holy. Not even once we turned around and asked Him to forgive us. Even from the cross, He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They are still yelling, crucify Him. He is still hanging on the cross. He is dying in our place. He is currently suffering for our sins, and yet He still says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. No one was there, oh, oops, we're sorry. No, there was no apology. There was no asking for it. He forgave us when we didn't even want it or know that we needed it. And because He did, He made it possible for us to forgive. For man, it is impossible, we've been told. But for God, all things are possible. And last Sunday, you even recited this with me. I can do all things through who? Amen. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we can forgive. And so if you're struggling right now with something and you're just not able to let it go, if you're just not able to forgive, if you're just not able to get to that point, then I implore you, get help. Now, you can come see me. I'm here. That's part of what I do as counsel and all that. But when I say get help, I mean get real help, get everlasting help, get eternal help. Get on your knees and pray to the Lord of Lords, the Counselor, the King of Kings, our Savior, who has forgiven you, and ask Him to transform your heart into a forgiving heart. You see, it is so difficult for us. For even Paul is sort of talking about the same thing in Romans. Right? Now he says, he's talking about a few different things like, you know, meat. And, you know, some abstain, some don't. It's okay. But that really doesn't make sense to us. I mean, yeah, we make fun of vegetarians. Anybody make fun of it? Anybody's got a vegan in their family? They're like, I'm not admitting it. Oh, I know somebody here does. Come on, that's the one we pick at. Want a vegan turkey leg? Of course, my favorite one is the vegan wearing the Nikes that are leather. And whoops, missed one. As funny as that is, that's exactly what Paul told us not to do. We are not to pick on them. If that is what they feel is right, then that is, should be what they are right. But they also shouldn't be like, I don't eat things with a face. Which is also one of my favorite ones. I'm like going, well, conveniently they have grocery stores and they've taken the face off long ago, so I never saw it. I don't know what your problem is. But in truth, this controversy was more over keeping kosher and not eating meat sacrificed to idols. 
Because there were some that say, well, if you eat the meat that's sacrificed to an idol, then you're as good as worshiping the idol. And others say, oh, no, the idols are nothing. It's fake. It's okay. It's just meat. Matter of fact, it's good meat. It's cheap meat. Why not? You know? And then about keeping certain days. The Jews had a calendar of all kinds of rituals, all kinds of days, and there are many churches that do. I have a sister-in-law who's Greek Orthodox, and there are many days that they have certain rights they have to be in church. Now, see, you guys have got it easiest, Protestants, both in the Catholic and the Orthodox traditions. There's are holy days of obligation. And if you're not in church, you get marks off in heaven. You're losing gold stars. But we, heck, we don't even have to show up every Sunday, and we're still okay. Now, if your someone's not here, don't tell them that I was tell, saying anything bad about them because I wasn't. That was just an illustration. I don't keep roll. I don't keep track. I don't think just sitting in the pew wins you a gold star. Because it's not where you're at, but where your heart is at. I had a young airman one time tell me, I don't go to church because I can worship God anywhere. What do you say to that? I said, you're absolutely right. Do you? What do you say to that? They walked out of my office. Just a question. You see, what Paul was really getting at here was that whatever you do in an act of worship should be done to the Lord. It should be done in your good conscience of the Lord. Now, these examples don't mean much to us, but I'll give one that maybe is a little more meaningful. Do you believe in being sprinkled or dumped? Oh, that'll start a controversy. Do you baptize them after they have asked for it, or do you sprinkle them when they're a baby? Do you have wine in your communion tray? Oh, that'll get some people going. Of course, as Presbyterians, we're, we're kind of a little easier going on a lot of this stuff. But our big thing is, do you baptize once or as many times as it takes? Now, for us, it's just once. But what we're told is, that, that, but don't make fun of the ones that do it more than once because maybe that's just how they, how they worship. See, again, the whole point of this is it all requires us to be in a right relationship with God first, not doing things according to a certain set of rules. I talked about Matthew 18 as the rule on church restoration. But isn't Jesus really more about the Spirit than the rules? In truth, what does it look like to have church restoration? Well, it looks different in a lot of ways. But I'll tell you what, in every one of them, there's one ingredient that you can't do without. Anybody want to take a guess? I've been talking about it all day. It's the key. It gives an F. It an S. And it's not lock. Come on. Forgiveness. All right, we got one here. I'm practically spoon-feeding it. Do you all think of it like there's going to be a buzzer? Like, I'm sorry. That's three strikes. You're out. I'm sorry. Go to the Methodist church next week. You can come back the week after and try again. Again, no. The point that I'm always trying to get to you in every sermon that I, you know, we come different ways, we use different passages, but there's always one single core message. And that is, there is only one way. And he told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's through Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. If you can't forgive somebody, if you're hurt so bad that you can't get past it, then go to Christ. 
He will get you past it. Now, he may not get you past it today, and he may get you past it, and next week you find yourself behind it again. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever been told, just give it up to the Lord? And you said, I gave it up to the Lord. And yet, the next day I woke up and there it was again. That's not on Jesus, by the way. That's on you. Well, that's okay because he's still there with you and he's ready to take it again. Remember what he said? How many times? Not just seven, but 77 or 70 times seven or as many as it takes. Because we're those people with the insurmountable debt. We could never work off. But Jesus paid it all. He went in our place to the cross, and he received all of God's wrath. He emptied out the vault of judgment upon himself. He died in our place, and then was raised again on the third day as a promise to us, because he, what he had done for us, we too will know new life. In this life, we're going to struggle. We're going to hurt. We're going to have bad days, bad weeks, bad months. Heck, some people even get bad decades. But there is one thing you will always have, and that is Christ with you, in you, through you, and most importantly, for you. For that is his promise. And so the story, I believe, in truth isn't about if you don't forgive you won't be forgiven, but it's just the opposite. It is, you can forgive because you've been forgiven. You can love because you've been loved. And you can trust because he is worthy. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for this chance to gather and worship as a community. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters here. and I pray that our worship and our praise has been edifying to you, that you have received it, that it has been delightful. And we just give you thanks that even though we don't deserve it and we didn't ask for it, you did want to and you did forgive us. Restore us and redeem us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Amen.